Thank you for all the wonderful birthday wishes and prayers and blessings, but it's now over. It's done. Move on with life now. <laughs> Thank you for everybody. Really appreciate it so much. I got an ice cream cake yesterday and a biltong cake today, so life can't be better than that. What an amazing thought. Well, I would like us to just take a moment to pray for the Year of Your Life, year of your Lifers that completed this year. Next year, the, our Year of Your Life program will be 30 years old. Can you believe it? I remember because I was there when it started in 1989, so I have a fond memory of that. So can I ask you guys just where you are to stand all the Year of Your Lifers and can I ask the rest of our community, won't you stretch out a hand to them and bless them? Some of them are going back to their homes and, and others are going to pursue other things in life. And we just want God's grace and God's favor and God's blessing upon them. Amen. So let's pray for them. Father, we thank you for every one of these beautiful people. Lord, we thank you for this year that they've had. And we pray, Lord, that ultimately it would have been a year where they have grown so much closer to you, Lord. And that in that process, as they grow, just grew closer to you, that they would have been equipped with tools, Father, about how to live kingdom lives, lives that bear fruit for you. And so, Lord, we pray that wherever you lead them, whatever the next step is, we pray that you will be with them and that your fruitfulness will be upon them, Father. We, we just bless them. We pray, Lord, that they would experience you going before them, providing for them, making a way for them for the next step, Lord. And we, we just love them and bless them today in Jesus' name. And everybody said aloud. Amen, amen, amen. Just on our, King, uh, our Christmas celebration coming up on the 2nd, you would have found little pamphlets like this. Please make use of them. Invite some of your friends, and let's have a great time to, together that evening. Uh, just another initiative I would need your cooperation with and your help. It would be great if you can. Is um, We thought it would be great to, as we're starting to end this year off with our theme uh, of the Disciples' Quest that on the last Sunday morning of the second, I'd actually like to do a bit of a question and answers time. And uh, because for us, this topic is not just a nice preaching topic and we learn some things and we move on. We're really trying to make sure that we are uh, being instilled in the principles of the Lord. And it may be that as we've shared over this year, that there's questions in your heart that you say, man, just not quite sure how to do this or apply this or what this means. Or if somebody can just speak a little bit more about this topic, then it'll really help me. So um, we would love it if you could send us some questions or some thoughts or something that I could share on, on that morning of the second. And uh, therefore, we, we call it uh, Talk to Us. And uh, if you would like to, please uh, send us to the email address talktous at hatfield.co.za as it is on the screen there, talktous at hatfield.co.za. Send us a question or just, you know, if there's something that I could talk about that would really be helpful to you. Uh, we would really appreciate that. Um, so you can do that over the next two weeks, and then we can have some time to prepare some good answers for those questions. So thank you for that. If you can do that, that'll be really great. Yeah, it was so amazing this morning to hear you sing that very powerful song of grace about the Lord's grace. And I want to share a message this morning that I've entitled Greater Grace and talk a little bit about grace. I wondered. If you, when you were singing that song this morning, and if you think of the word grace, what comes into your mind? What is your description of the word grace? Or what is your definition of the word grace? I wonder if you could close your eyes for a, a couple of seconds. Because I'd like it if every person could say, this is what I think grace means. You don't have to tell, say to anybody else, this is not a test. But just in your own mind, do you have a description for grace? When I say the word grace, what, what does it mean? 
for you. encourage you to write that sentence down for yourself somewhere. And as we share this morning, perhaps you will add a little bit to that definition. Because grace is such an important, fundamental concept within our faith. If you don't understand grace, you'll never understand Christianity. It is one of the things that sets us apart as Christians is grace and the teaching of grace that we have. What does grace mean? There's been many definitions, and, and I don't want to give you know, definitive definitions this morning. I'd really like us to have conversation about this, but you know, somebody once gave it the acronym GRACE is God's riches at Christ's expense. That grace contains this element of we receive from God that which we do not deserve because of the work of Christ. Grace also has the, com- the, the, the mercy element to it where we receive not what we do deserve. We deserve judgment. We deserve punishment. We deserve to be excluded. We deserve to be not allowed into God's presence. We deserve to be not inherit the kingdom of God. But by His grace, God has said, I will not give you what you deserve. But in fact, I will give you what you don't deserve. I will, give, I will make you co-heirs with Christ. I will give you access to my presence. I will give you my kingdom. And isn't that amazing that that's what we have as believers. We live in grace. In Ephesians 2 verse uh, 9 to 10, Paul, uh, 8 to 10, Paul writes to the Ephesians, such a well-known portion of scripture about grace. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses about grace. For it is by grace that you have been saved. How many of you know that you've come into the kingdom of God by grace? And, and I think when we say that, what do we mean? We mean to say, I didn't deserve it. Nothing I did gave me access to the kingdom of God. Amen? Isn't that what grace means? I, I was allowed in, despite the fact that I should have not been allowed in. I actually deserved not to come in, but God made a way so that I could come in. I'm saved by grace through faith. And it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. So grace has this element, it's not my works, it's not what I do. It's got very little to do with me, it's actually nothing about me, it's everything about who God is. Grace tells me who God is. And in the light of who He is, it shows me who I am. But it's about Him. So that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So grace is God freely giving to us that which we have no right to or access to. The way we receive His grace is by faith. Faith is not works. Faith is merely that position that we take that says, yes, Lord, I receive it. I believe. This may be so hard to believe that you actually want to give me all of this which I have no right to. I receive it and I say, yes, Lord, you give me this. And I step into that amazing grace of God. Now, in our community, as we talk about grace, I think it's very important that we, that we come to some real fundamental, practical understanding of what grace means in our lives and what it means to live from grace 
as opposed to live from the law or live from legalism. And uh, one of the ways we do that is we, again, we will use the triangle, and thank you, Herman, for my beautiful triangle and the sound it makes. So now you're going to even hear more triangles from me because I've now been equipped and enabled with the triangle. But we use the triangle to so much show about, and last week I spoke about how we grow in, as disciples in our up, in, and out. But another way we apply the triangle is when we talk about the flow of grace. How does grace flow into our lives and through our lives? Because if grace is so important, it's something we receive, but grace is not only something we receive, it's also something we live out and we give. How does grace flow in our lives? And I think it's important to have some understanding about that. And in this triangle, I try and explain and, and just to myself, and, and hopefully it makes sense to you also, that our journey in grace begins with God saying, I love you. Grace is founded in love. It's rooted in love. Grace is an expression of love. It is love practically living among us is grace. Grace begins because God has this position of love towards us, where He made us, He created us to love us, and, and one of the ways that I, we say that is he created us from a place of acceptance. He accepts us as his children. Ultimately, God made us so that he could love us, so that we can know that acceptance of what it means to belong to God. And that's the beginning of our journey in grace, is to first of all know, I am loved and accepted by God. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got everything to do with him. My acceptance in God is not because of me, because of something I am or something I'm not or something I do or something I don't do. It's completely because God is a God of love. Therefore, He loves and therefore I have acceptance. It is a given. It's a fact. It's the foundation. It's the beginning. When I understand that and I receive that, that grace flows into my life from the love of God, His acceptance for me. That grace then flows into what I think one of the, the fundamental places of our human experience is our identity. And where this grace moves from being something heavenly to becoming something very earthly and very real is the impact it has on how we look at ourselves, how we decide who we are, how we build and shape our identity. Identity is such an important thing. Every one of us has a sense of identity. And it's because of our identity that we do certain things and have behavior. So grace flows into our lives from this love of God into, and God says, because I love you, I have made you, and that shapes, firstly, your identity. And once your identity is shaped by this love of God and this acceptance, it flows out into the rest of the world. Through you, grace flows out, and grace then bears fruit. And God's love gets made known through us to the world around us. And this is the flow of grace. It's in God's wisdom that He decided that the flow of grace is not going to go from God to the world, but it's actually going to go through His people by shaping us in our identity. Now, as I share this with you, you may go, oh, that's nice. But sometimes if we see what life would look like or what life is without this flow of grace, we may better appreciate it. We live in a world that for many people and in many parts of our world and many cultures in our world, God has actually been removed from the picture. 
So there is no longer a triangle for people. A triangle, I've got to grow up, I've got to grow in, and I've got to grow out. For many people in this world, there's no up in terms of a God being. Life has become, instead of being vertical and horizontal, it's only horizontal. There is no real vertical anymore. There's no relationship with God. There's no accountability to God. Have you been in parts of the world? We live in a, in a nation where you don't find it so often that you bump into a person that lives as if God doesn't exist. But if you've been to other parts of the world, you'll know there's many where people, it's God doesn't exist. God doesn't feature. God is not part of people's reasoning. When people make decisions, they don't think, is this God's will? It's, there's no vertical part. It's only horizontal. So if you have no vertical part, if you have no up, if you have no God that you look up to, then what you must understand is there's no acceptance that's outside of yourself. You can have no sense of love that is outside of you or people on your horizontal plane, humans. And for many people, that's how they live in this world. Their sense of identity, there's no impact from an up. Their sense of identity is purely shaped by their own feelings, their own inner awareness, and how the world around them responds to them, how other people relate to them. And that's how identity is shaped. And we live in a world now which really believes that it is every person's right to independently decide their own identity. And that true freedom is found if any human being can autonomously decide for themselves what their identity is. We live in a culture where growingly, particularly from the Western world, you know, from, the, from, from Europe uh, and places, you know, in, the, in the, what we would call the first world, this idea is more and more pervasive all over the world that identity is shaped by every person having free will to decide who they are. And we're kicking more and more against anything that we seem as, that we feel is determinative, that tells us who we are, but we don't have a say over it. Even biology is becoming a problem for us. Because in mankind's thinking, when you remove God out of the picture and you say there's no up relationship, there's no accountability, and there's no acceptance in the vertical, then my ability to tell who, say who I am, is then found in my freedom of expression on this horizontal level. And nobody will tell me who I am. I must make that decision for myself. How many of you have seen in the, in the news lately, there was this court case that's taking place in Europe of a Dutch person that decided he will not let a calendar determine his identity any longer. He's now 69 years old, and he says, I want to be free. I am not free. Because I'm 69 years old, I have to be retired. I'm struggling to find a good relationship. I am, and life is just hard. If I was 49, life would be a lot different. Now, I was 49 up until the day before yesterday. <laughs> but he said, if he was 49, he'd be able to have a job. He'd find it a lot easier to find a, a, a girlfriend or a relationship. Everybody would treat him very differently. But because he's 69, life's hard. And the only thing he needs to do is just change the date he was born. 
If he can just change the date he was born and make it 20 years later, life would be completely different. His identity, he says, I feel 49. I don't feel 69. So why must I be determined by something outside of myself to be a certain age? Surely I have the freedom and the right to decide how old I am. How many of you like that? Listen, some of you can tell me as much as you want to, you feel 30, but I don't know. doesn't look like it. Because freedom is absolute freedom of choice. If you remove God, that's all that we're left with. You will not tell me who I am. I must tell myself. So gender is no longer assigned to me by biology. I must choose. Otherwise, I'm not free. If my biology tells me my gender, I'm not free. Then my identity is determined for me outside of myself. Therefore, I'm living under some slavery. So I must choose. Then I can be free. My race, I must choose. Everything about myself, I must choose. Now, that sounds wonderful. You see, and that's what freedom comes to mean when you take God out of the picture. But for you and I, freedom means something different. We have freedom of choice, but within the context of the truth of God that created everything. That's why you'll read the scripture in John 1 verse 16. For His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. If you just want freedom, then you don't have a real place for truth. Our truth is this. God is a loving God that created everything as an expression of His love, of His kindness. So therefore, when he in his wisdom and in his love made me, he assigned certain identity parameters to me. But those were not things of slavery. They were things of his blessing and of his grace and of his kindness upon my life. He decided that I would be male, not female. He decided that. He decided my race. I know my parents had something to do with it, but ultimately that's God's decision. He assigned that to me. He even assigned to me my age in a sense. The scripture says, for each of us has been measured the time and the place. So we believe simply that God had a lot to say about who I am, and my freedom is not found in being untethered from everything that God said, but embracing who God made me. Now, we live in a world where people really struggle, and I, I don't want to undermine that or speak lightly about it whatsoever. People really struggle with these issues. And there are people that have real struggles about their identity as it relates to things like gender and sexual orientation. It's real. And, and there's lots that we, we need to learn and, and journey together and how. But can I tell you, I don't think it helps people if you remove them from God. 
and it's from His creative plan and purpose for every person. But when there comes in us an acceptance that I am accepted in God, He made me a certain way, and that is an expression of His acceptance and of His love and of His care for me. Now, I, I, factor, I bring that, and I factor a broken world into that, and that everything's not perfect. Everything the way we see it is not how God intended it to be. And I bring all of that, but even that which I struggle with, the, the, the brokenness of this world, people that, that have real struggles and problems and that get born with problems and all of these things, I, I, I can still deal with all of that because I believe and I say, behind all of this is a loving that made everything for His purposes. And therefore, there is meaning, possible meaning in everything. I may struggle to find it and may have to walk a journey of how to get to understand it, but it is there because God is. My life is an expression of Him. Therefore, I begin with acceptance. I love because He loves me. And whether you believe that or not really doesn't matter. How you treat me really doesn't change it. I matter because He made me. He made me. And my identity, therefore, is shaped by Him. By this knowledge, first of all, that I have, that He loves me. My race, my gender, my education, my whatever you want to put it, all of that is secondary. That's the stuff of this world. That's how God made me, and I celebrate in that. But the headline is, God made me. That is the part I get hung up on. The other stuff is part of my journey. It's part of how, how I live to bring Him glory and to live in His presence. To live out the fruitfulness of my identity that's been shaped in the acceptance of His grace and of His love. That's the difference we have because we live by grace. Everything I have is grace. A lot of what I don't have is grace. Amen? Because He is the one in whom we rest and find our truth. So not only are we saved by grace, do we live by grace, but as followers of Christ, we grow in grace. We mature, we develop in grace. Now, that doesn't mean that we get more grace. God, you know, sort of gives you 10, 10 currency of grace when you, when you start, and then every year He adds a bit more. No, the Scripture says He gives it all to us. When you give your heart to Jesus, He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Here's everything I've got. His fullness, that Scripture we just read. Everything, yours, belongs to you. We just learn what that means. And we learn to walk in His grace. We learn to walk in truth and grace. To live more and more from His grace. And to do that, we need to grow in grace. And I want to bring our triangle into this. And to say we need to grow in grace in our up, our in, and our out. I cannot have a relationship with God if it wasn't for His grace. It is by grace that I can grow to have a relationship with God. Just think about it like this. To have a relationship with God is to have a relationship with the highest intelligence in the universe, 
the most powerful being that can create galaxies with his voice, that can destroy planets with his breath. This is the one that I am, am growing up in my relationship with. Now I'm telling you, if God doesn't help me, I can't do it. I don't know how many of you have been with your little one when they go to grade one. I, we've, you know, obviously all four of our boys went to grade one and completed grade one, so it's wonderful. But I can remember going with them to grade one. You know, and they've got those little uniforms on, a little bit too big for them because it's got to last for the year. And they've got a little suitcase with a little lunchbox and, and big eyes. And holding mommy's hand very tight. Dad's got the camera. And off we go to school and they, they go and they, they get told, this is your classroom. And they get introduced to their teacher. And they walk into the class. And it's scary. It's big school now. And they, they sort of hide behind mommy. Some, I know some of them are like, yay, finally out of the home. You know, some of them are 10 when they go to grade one. They couldn't wait any longer. You know, no, just some are like, yay. But, you know, for, it's like, ooh, this is big stuff now. Remember one of our children was really concerned when, when we took him to grade one. And, and, and on the way to school that day, he said to Natasha, does the teacher know I can't read or write? <laughs> Just will you make sure her expectations are realistic? You know? <laughs> does she know I can't do this? You know, and off you go to grade one. And, and isn't it amazing when you walk into the class, there's normally a carpet in the class with... And, and then the teacher says, listen, everybody come sit on the carpet. And then she, if she's young enough, she'll get down on the carpet and sit with them. If she's not that young, she has a little chair, and then she'll sit on the little chair. And, and then she sits, and, and then she starts talking to them. And she uses small words, and she talks in nice language, and the whole room is made to make them feel at home. It's on their level. Everything happens on their level. She talks starts teaching them how to write little words, and she doesn't begin with, you know, big words. She begins with three-letter words. I made the mistake in the South Church of spelling it B-A-L, L, ball. Three-letter words. She, you know, my grade one teacher will turn in her grave right now. But you, you know what she does? She comes down to their level, and she teaches them on their level. And so their journey begins with 12 years at school where every year they, they may have gone up a level, but the teacher meets them at the beginning of the next year at that low level of grade two, grade three. And every year she journeys or he journeys with them and they bring them up. So the next year they complete that year and can start the next level. So by the time that that child is now grade 12 writing exams, how many of you know that if that child is still sitting on the carpet playing with clay and writing three-letter words, they've been failed by the teachers. Because the teachers don't just come down to their level, the teachers come down to meet them, to bring them up to their level. That's the journey that education walks with those children. And you know, when we come into the kingdom of God, God does the same with us. The Holy Spirit says, oh, so good to have you here this morning. So nice, come, here's your little place on the carpet, come sit down, and he talks small things to us, he tells us how much he loves us the whole time, everything's going to be okay, here's your food, you know, here's your little place to sleep, you even get a nap in the middle of the day, life's awesome, because he meets you where you are, but how many of you know the Holy Spirit doesn't keep you there, didn't Jesus say, and he will teach you and guide you into all truth, 
Every year, He brings you up to a higher level. Because what's the Holy Spirit doing with you? You are to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's the journey of grace. That's what grace does. Grace isn't God coming down to our level and meeting us and staying with us, and we all just play in the sand and take lunchtime naps. Grace is God coming to us, picking us up by grace, and taking us to the heavenly places, revealing to us the mysteries of the kingdom. Read the Scripture, and you'll see how God revealed to people things that they shouldn't know. His intelligence, His creativity, He makes known. And not only does He make it known, He brings us into it and He gives it to us and we display His splendor because of grace. I need grace every day to grow in my up so that I don't keep things on my level but that I keep pushing into the next. Have you ever come to church and sort of halfway through a service, whether it's in a time of worship or in the time of preaching, you feel really bad. I'm not talking about something you ate. But you're starting to realize, I've missed it. I failed God. I did something I really shouldn't have. Or I've been living in a way that's not... Have you ever felt that? I'm so grateful that I've had many experiences like that. Where I go to church and church makes me feel bad. I know our culture says that you must go to church and the church must just make you feel good. Can I tell you, the Word of God is a two-edged sword. It cuts, man. There's times where I couldn't wait for the person to stop talking so I could run to the front, come fall on my face and cry and say, Lord, forgive me, I have failed. I do that because I know He loves me, but I have not journeyed with Him to the places where He wants me to, and I don't want to lose out. I don't want to miss what he's got for me. So, Lord, thank you for your grace. That in your grace you convict me. You make known to me my failures. But on the foundation of your acceptance. That you love me. But because you love me, you tell me that is not good enough. That's not what I made you for. That's not what I want in your life. So I need grace to grow up. I also need grace to grow in. Do you know that we need grace with one another? Read the scripture, how often it talks about extending grace within the body of Christ. You know, take care that the root of bitterness does not grow up among you, but walk in grace with each other. We need grace to love each other, to be the body of Christ because we're not perfect. Not any one of us in this place is perfect. We have such a discrepancy between what we want to do and what we actually get done a lot of the time. We fail. Sometimes we get it right, but a lot of the times we don't. And the problem is that you've got to negotiate yourself between these two, getting it right sometimes and failing other times. If we failed all the time, it would be easier. But now we get it right sometimes, and then other times we miss. But yet God says, come. Come into unity. Come, be, be the body of Christ. Be built in. It's only by grace that that's possible. It's not because we're perfect, and it'll never be because we're perfect. Now we work hard to get as close to perfection as we can, but we'll never get there. And the only way we can grow to get any way better is by grace. 
But grace also helps us to join together. I'll read you a story by a guy, a book I'm reading by, the, by, by a guy by the name of Joseph Chand. Joseph Chand, in 1970, is a young man, left his home country of India and traveled over to the U.S. to join a Bible school and to be trained for ministry. And uh, this Bible school that he went to was in the southern part of the U.S. And uh, so as he traveled there, he was on a student visa. And um, to try and get a bit of money and just to survive, he, he, he signed up as a janitor in the Bible school, in the college. And so what he would do is he would clean offices. And one day as he was going to an office, it was an office of the, the dean, one of the deans of the Bible college, of the college. As he was cleaning out the dustbin, he noticed his assistant, and she was beautiful. And he fell head over heels in love with this girl. And he suddenly found himself looking for reasons to clean her dustbin at least twice a day. And, and he would, you know, spend a little bit longer there. He would rush through all the other offices and go and spend a little bit of time longer in her office. And, and soon in that Bible school, it became very obvious to everybody that he was in love with this girl and that she was starting to have some feelings for him. The problem was she was white, name was Brenda, and he was Indian. And this was 1970 in the southern regions of the United States. And so he writes, But the mere fact that I obviously liked her sent ripples of tension throughout the campus. In response, the college's board met in an urgent session and passed a policy to forbid people dating outside their ethnicity. But they soon realized that that wasn't clear enough. They needed to define dating, so they defined it as having conversation, a conversation longer than five minutes. So watch out. If you're talking to somebody for five minutes, you're dating. <laughs> Sitting at the same cafeteria table was dating. Riding in the same car was dating. Sitting next to each other in class or sitting in the same church pew was dating. In effect, the board members tried to establish an exclusion zone expressly designed to keep me away from Brenda. But as all of these things happened, their love for each other continued to grow, and they were two young people that were really trying to honor their leaders, but it was hard for them. So they would slyly undercover through phone calls, build a relationship with each other, but try and really keep it separate and not be seen to have a relationship. But love grew, and eventually they actually got married. And it caused a great division in their community, and it was a a, a quite a to-do. He writes a lot about it. But then he carries on. During those awful years when I was a student, I believe the leadership and the school board were ignorant, not prejudiced. Somehow I sensed that the reaction of the board and the dean wasn't the true content of their hearts. I don't think the dean believed what he was doing was good right and fair. He was given the task to enforce the board's policy and he tried to do it the best he knew how. I don't think the board was acting out of spite, but out of fear. They were suffering from the pressures of a repressive, racist culture and they simply didn't know how to reconcile their faith in a gracious, welcoming God with the rampant racism found in their nation. This is his words. Then his story continues. 
Ten years after Brenda and I left that college with deep feelings of hurt and confusion, we returned. But this time, I was the college president. Amazingly, a racial healing transformation had occurred. What he did is he left from there and planted a church, but kept on inviting his lecturers, his deans, to come and preach at the church that he was leading. And over that time, relationships grew and were mended and healing came in. And to the point where these, they appointed him as the president of the Bible college. Board members now welcomed me as the new leader of the institution. The darkest chapters of my history occurred at that Bible college. But in God's amazing redemptive grace, he used the same people and the same institution to bring new hope, creativity, and fruitfulness into my life. But first, we needed to clear up a few things. Soon after I took the new role, I went to the dean's office and said, years ago, I sat in this chair in this office across from you and you threatened to expel me. I was your janitor. Now I'm your president. I'm okay with you. The question is whether you're okay with me. He assured me that he was. Indeed, past, sorry, he assured me that the past was indeed the past. And we would move together into the future. In my 15 years as president at that Bible college, the dean became one of my most trusted and valued partners. See, that's what grace does for us. Grace that is not our grace, but God's grace. Grace that says every one of us was created by a loving God for His loving purposes. And we may get it wrong, but it doesn't change the fact that God made every one of us. And as His grace works in our lives and it changes us, and we give grace to others, we move into a place where the kingdom becomes visible. Not despite or without pain, but through the pain of a broken world. The kingdom of God is established by grace. By grace. I'm so thankful for people that have given me grace. Not grace meaning that they excused my mistakes and just ignored them, but loved me enough to call me to a higher place. That put their arms around me and said, we love you and we accept you and we will not reject you. But can we walk together so that God can do more? That is the grace of God. And it's that grace that when we see that grace among us, we are strengthened and we get grace for the out. Because you need grace to love those outside also. You know why we need grace? Not because they are so hard to love, but because we so fail. I'm so grateful that God uses me in despite my own failing so often. And He teaches me. He keeps on walking with me. I learn so much. He guides me so that I get better and better at loving the people of this world and representing Him better. But it's only by grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. Now, how do we get grace? And I'm going to end with this very quickly. In James 4, James writes to one of the communities of faith of their time, Hebrew believers. And he writes within the, the, the context of them struggling with the law, with issues of justice. 
struggling within the issues of what is right and what is wrong and how to draw lines between right and wrong and how to hold people accountable and how to, how to live a godly life. And he writes in the midst of all of this. And he talks to them in James 4 verse 1. He says, what is the source of the quarrels and conflicts among you? Very real, practical talking to a community saying, you're fighting with each other. And he starts explaining to them why they're fighting with each other. And then he gets down, and you can go, please go read the whole from verse 1 to 10 at at home, but uh, my time is finished. I want to just read verse 6. In verse 6, he says, but after having described to them their quarrels and their struggles and and how they, you know, legalism is coming in amongst them, he says this, but he, the God who loves us and accepts us, gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If we want more grace so that we can grow more, the key is humility. And it's this amazing kingdom cycle again because you step into grace through humility and you grow in grace by humility. Because what grace is, is saying, Lord, I can't do this. I need you to open a way for me which I cannot open. I will never be good enough to, to, to deserve your salvation. But thank you that by grace you have opened a way for me. And that's exactly what humility recognizes. Humility is knowing I cannot do this. I need God. And therefore when we grow in grace, we consistently walk in humility towards God, towards one another. Where we say, I I'm on my journey. God loves me. God heals me. God restores me. God is reshaping me. God loves you. God restores you. God is reshaping you. And we get to do this together by grace. But what keeps us is that humility that says, I'm no better than you. The same God that made me made you. Now, I may have learned a couple of things along the way that I can help you with but that doesn't put us on different levels that just is our gracious relationship with one another you may have learned some things that you can teach me and I'm okay with that because my identity is not in what I know my identity is in who made me and therefore there's so much that I can learn and be willing to learn and we can share together By grace, there's more for us than we could ever imagine. There's more for this community than we could ever imagine. By grace, that is given by a God to a people that humble themselves all the time. That keeps their hearts soft and gentle. That keeps perspective like Mr. Chan did when he looked at the trespasses of He's that Christian college. He knew enough of God to say what they're doing is wrong, but he didn't judge them for it in the terms of final judgment. He said, I may know this is wrong, but I can extend grace. And God in his time brought about something beautiful that if it was left up to human programs, they would have destroyed that which God wanted to build. Can I ask you to stand with me this morning?
I simply want to just lead us in a prayer where we say, Lord, we want to be people of grace and truth. Grace and truth. We want to be people that get it right, that bear the fruit of the kingdom. But we recognize the journey to there is by grace, Lord. It's by grace. Thank you for your grace upon us. But this morning we humble ourselves before you. And we say, Lord, have your way. This is about you. It's not about me. Have your way, Lord. I can't do this, Lord. It's only in you. We're so dependent on you, Father. It may be your day today to say, Lord Jesus, I want to stop trying this on my own and I want to live for you. Come and the team will pray with you and help you in that process also. We have baptism after the service for people who say, I've stepped into this place of grace. I want to publicly proclaim it. And that happens in our functions hall. But may the Lord bless you in this week. May you go in his grace and grow in his grace and be fruitful in his grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.